Good evening and welcome to the 10th session of the Rooted Course. Today we're going to be looking at the subject of suffering. And this is one of the toughest questions to address for obvious reasons. And suffering remains one of the biggest objections to belief in God. And so as Christians, it is important that we address the subject and know where we, we stand and offer a, a Christian response to the question of suffering. Also, when, when people experience suffering, what they really are wanting is empathy and support. And we need to remember this. And so giving academic answers to what is essentially not an academic question is something that we need to, to bear in mind. Suffering is also not a question that we can speak definitively about. When we witness somebody experiencing great suffering, we can't just say, well, you know, you're experiencing the suffering because of these reasons. We must be very careful not to be like Job's comforters. If you've read the book of Job, which is really a story trying to make sense of suffering, uh, you will know that Job has an, a few friends that come to so-called comfort him. And he has this to say in chapter 16. I've heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. So that's Job's response to people trying to comfort him in his suffering. And we need to make sure that we are not like Job's comforters. Well, Jesus was asked about the problem of suffering and particularly its randomness. In Luke 13, there, there's the account of some people coming to Jesus and, and asking him about suffering. I'll read these verses in Luke 13, verse 1. There were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So here's a horrific story about some Galileans that Pilate had chosen to kill uh, and, and use their blood in some kind of sacrifice to uh, his Roman gods. And, and so Jesus is asked, what do you make of this terrible thing that's happened to these Galileans? And Jesus replies in verse 2 of Luke 13, Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered that way? And Jesus' answer is, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So this is very interesting because it gives us some insight in, into Jesus' understanding about suffering. And he says, look, it is not that those Galileans were worse than other people, that this terrible thing happened to them. Then he gives another example. This is now Jesus initiating an example. All those 18 who died when the tower in Salome fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So here's another example of, of suffering. A tower collapses, falls and 
kills a whole lot of people. And Jesus says, look, those people that suffered in that way, they're not worse off. They're not worse people than, than anyone else living in Galilee. Then there's another example of Jesus' take on suffering in John chapter 9. Here it involves a blind man. And we read, as he went along, he, he saw a man blind from birth. <clears throat> and his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so you can, hear, you can see the thinking in the minds of the disciples. They're wanting to link an example of actual suffering to some specific sin or, or guilty person. In their minds, a specific example of sin, of suffering, is linked to a specific example of sin. So that's why they say when they see the man born blind. Jesus, was it this man who sinned or was it his parents? And Jesus' answer is quite comforting for us because he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Jesus goes on to heal that person. But the important point of this story is that Jesus unlinks, he, he disconnects this association between specific suffering and, and specific sin. So Christians, we do not believe in, in karma, as it were. There is sometimes no clear, direct connection between an example of terrible suffering, a baby born blind, a tower falling over on people and killing them, or, or a crazy ruler murdering his subjects and mixing in their blood for a sacrifice. Jesus says there's no direct link often between these acts and specific sins. So we do need discernment when it comes to trying to understand suffering. Sometimes God can reveal to us why there is a situation of suffering Sometimes the reasons might be unfathomable to us, uh, and so they're beyond our understanding. We need to accept that that too is, is a legitimate uh, supposition. And sometimes there can be a variety of reasons for any particular situation of suffering. And I also just want to re just say how much suffering there has been in the world. Uh, in fact, it's, it's, it's impossible to quantify, but let's just say that most of human existence has involved terrible amounts of suffering. And in many ways, we who are alive today uh, are, are living the highest quality of life that human beings have perhaps ever been privileged to live. So, so the world is full of suffering. And as we go back in history, we see that there was actually more and more suffering. And, and some historians would say that just the very existence of people from birth to death was a hard slog from start to finish.
So there's a tremendous amount of suffering in this world. And, and as Christians, we do need to have a good theology uh, for understanding suffering. Another significant point I want to make is that the Christian faith offers hope to those who suffer. I believe that the Christian faith is really the only faith that, that really offers offers hope to those who suffer because for those of us who believe in the providence of God and in the sovereignty of God we believe that God is is at work in everything for the good of those that love him and that what I've just said is is summarized in Romans 8 verse 28 where Paul writes and we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love him and who've been called according to his purpose. And this really is a life-changing belief. Also, when it comes to the Christian faith, we believe in a God who, who has entered into human suffering. God left the, the comfort of heaven. He, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and Jesus has experienced the hardship of this life. And he's described by Isaiah in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows and one familiar with suffering. It uh, was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. Isaiah also says in that passage in verse 10. So, so in the Christian faith, we, we're not talking about a God who is separate from our suffering. But our God has entered into our suffering in the person of Jesus Christ. I want to speak now about have seven points and I believe they all have something significant to say about suffering. I've called them perspectives on suffering, seven different perspectives that we need to have when we think about suffering. And the first is this, and it's probably the most important one. That suffering is part and parcel of living in a fallen world. That's the number one reason why we experience suffering in our own lives and why we witness suffering in this world. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in a world that is not at all how God intended it to be. The biblical explanation for this is, is found in Genesis chapter 3, where we read about how Adam and Eve, the representatives of the human race, how they rebelled against God, how they did the one thing that God said they mustn't do, and how sin and death and destruction entered into this world, how this world lost its perfection, its pristine condition. And how, how sin and death brought despair and destruction. And it's a very long passage and so I'm not going to read it all because I'm sure it's familiar with you. Familiar to you. But after the fall of Adam and Eve, God says these words. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no death. There was no suffering. Sin brought about God's curse as as a judgment on the sin of Adam and Eve. He said, cursed is the ground and through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. This is why there is physical wear and tear in our world. This is why there's Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, it quite probably will. This is why there is is death and pain and suffering. And humankind's sin hasn't just affected humanity, but our sin has affected all of creation. This is why they are natural disasters. Sin didn't just affect us as, as individuals and the world continued to be perfect. No, as a result of the curse that God spoke out upon the world, creation itself started to break down. And we read a very significant verse in in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this, that he says creation, and he's speaking about the physical world, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Verse 20, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. That's God. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. And brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So here's Paul writing about our physical world, the earth, creation. And he says that creation too is waiting now to be redeemed, to be saved, to be made new again and made perfect. But until Jesus comes back and renews creation and creates a new heavens and a new earth, until that happens, we're we're living in a fallen world, in a world that doesn't function properly anymore. By the way, this doesn't answer the question of why a specific person is experiencing suffering. But this is the backdrop to why there is suffering in the world today. And some people have asked, why is there so much suffering in the world? And others have retorted, well, we should be asking, why isn't there even more suffering in the world today, given the fallenness of creation and humanity's status before God? 
But the fallenness of creation serves as a testimony and as a witness to our sinfulness. Imagine if we were still living in a perfect world and our lives were, were blissful. How would we ever know that we are fallen creatures and that we have forsaken God and our creator who, who loved us? The fact that we're living in a, in a world of suffering is a constant reminder to us that we are fallen, broken, sinful people in desperate need of God's renewing, saving power in our lives. So that's my first point. When it comes to any discussion about suffering, we must remember we're living in a fallen world. And uh, in, in a world that itself is groaning and, and needing and longing to be renewed and, and saved by God's power. Another important perspective for us as Christians is that our suffering, unbeknown to us, may result in the glory of God. And this is really the crux of the story of Job. If you know the story of Job, you will know that Job was a prosperous, healthy, happy man. And Satan speaks to God and says, you know, this Job down there who loves you so much and who worships you, well, he only worships you and praises you because you've given him such a great life. Uh, take some of that blessing away and then we will see whether Job still praises you. So that is, that is the behind the scenes story of what happens in the book of Job. And the outcome of the story and the outcome of all of Job's suffering is that Satan is proved wrong. And uh, it is proved that God's worship is by Job is authentic and true. So uh, I'm not going to read all of the book of Job. It's a very long book. But here are a few important sentences for us for our talk today. Job, he was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's how it begins. And then there's the conversation between the Lord and Satan. Uh, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. And Satan's reply is, does Job fear God for nothing you have blessed him stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face then some terrible things start happening to Job we read about how a tribe comes and attacks him and uh, steals off some of his livestock and kill his servants that's the first tragedy then there's in verse 16, the fire of God falls from the sky and burns up other livestock. More of his servants die. Then there's another tribe that comes raiding the Chaldeans and they uh, also kill many of Job's staff and, uh, and steal his livestock. 
Finally, we have the story of his sons and daughters feasting in a house. And suddenly a wind sweeps through from the desert. The house falls down and a number of them are are killed. These are Job's children. And so here in the early chapters of the book of Job, we read about natural disasters. We read about things that could have been perceived to be a supernatural event, fire coming down from heaven. We read about the wickedness of people stealing and plundering and raiding and all the suffering that that brings. And then finally we read about a a badly constructed home that is blown down in a powerful wind and Job's children are killed. And so Job now begins to suffer very severely, and and he says these great words, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all of this, Job does not sin against God. And then the the story develops and Satan says to God, well, Job uh, is still only serving you because he's okay. Try striking his body with illness. Strike him and then we'll see whether he continues to worship you. And the Lord's reply is very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. This is the point where Job's wife comes to him and says, Job, why are you holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And, and even then, even when he doesn't get support from his wife, Job maintains his integrity in serving God. You're a foolish woman. We accept good from God. Why not trouble also? And then Job is is struck down and he continues in his faith. And you can read the the end of the story. It does have a happy ending in chapter 42. But what are some of the important lessons we can learn from the story? Well, it's the point I've been trying to make, that sometimes the suffering we endure here on earth can in some way result in bringing glory to God. Maybe that's because others see our, our faith in God in the face of suffering. And maybe that is a, a great witness to them. The third point I want to make about suffering is that sometimes suffering in this life is the direct result of human sin. Sometimes suffering really is the direct result of, of our stupidity. In 1 Peter 4, we read this, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. This verse makes it clear that sometimes we bring suffering upon ourselves. When we we do the wrong thing, that can result in, in terrible consequences for us. I also think of Galatians 5. In verse 19, where Paul writes, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. 
And then he lists things like sexual immorality, impurity, discord, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Sometimes when people engage in these behavior, they bring horrific, terrible consequences on themselves and on others. In Galatians 6 verse 7, we read these sobering words, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is teaching the biblical principle that there are real consequences to the decisions and actions we make. Paul goes on, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. When we deliberately sin, we are, we're partnering with the devil in his attempt to steal, kill, and to destroy. Take, for example, the, the man who has a problem with lust and with pornography. Perhaps that develops to the point of him having an affair with someone and to the destruction of his marriage. And then we can see the, the, the pain and, and problems unfolding from that tragic situation. It all begins sometimes with a small sin that can grow and then have devastating consequences. It is true that a person reaps what they sow, and how we live our lives sometimes leads to suffering. A person that wants to abuse alcohol, for example, and not work and not apply themselves and not exercise self-control, that can lead to, to suffering down the line. So sometimes suffering is the direct cause of our own wrong actions or sadly sometimes someone else's. I also want to make the point fourthly that suffering can at times be the work of the devil. There's a very interesting example in Luke chapter 13 where a woman is brought to Jesus and she's all bent over and she has a serious back problem. She's, she's greatly uh, in pain and, and, and her quality of life is limited by this, this problem. And in verse 11 of Luke 13, we're told that she'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. And Jesus says, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And then when he has to defend what he's done, because he's challenged, I think, why have you healed on the Sabbath? Jesus said, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath? So here Jesus is equating this particular physical illness with something with a spiritual cause. Now, I don't know how that fits into your worldview, but Jesus is teaching us here that sometimes a physical ailment or a physical problem in a person's body can have a spiritual cause. 
This is a woman Jesus refers to as of having been crippled by a spirit for 18 years and someone whom Satan has kept bound. And it is through a spiritual ministry that the woman is healed. So let's not underestimate the role that Satan can and does play in causing suffering in this world. Fifthly, sometimes when we suffer, it's because we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. I think of our brothers and sisters in China. I think of our brothers and sisters suffering for their faith in Nigeria and in many other countries around the world. Often they lose their jobs, are not allowed to study, uh, are denied many privileges, medical care, whatever it may be. Sometimes there, there is great suffering experienced by people simply because they were followers of Jesus. And Peter refers to this a lot. In 1 Peter 4 we read, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. But rather rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. So there are many references in the New Testament and quite a few in the first letter of Peter to suffering that is linked to being persecuted for your faith. And, and the Bible says that when we suffer because of our faith in Jesus, we are actually sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. And that is something we can rejoice in. The sixth point I want to make about suffering is that suffering develops our character. Suffering develops our character. And this is another one of the, the positives, if we can say that, ab about suffering. Yes, God can be glorified through our suffering. God can use our suffering in ways that we can't comprehend. But God will also use our suffering to develop us and to make us more like Jesus. And this is not a pleasant subject to discuss by any means. But the Bible is very clear that God does use our sufferings to develop our character. In Romans 5 and verse 3 we read this. Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. So here's Paul talking about his own experiences of suffering and how that he understood that God was using those horrible experiences to grow him as a person, to build perseverance into his life and to develop his character. But there's an even more there's an even clearer reference in James chapter 1 and, and verse 2. There James says, 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And we might say, what is James writing here? What does James know about suffering? Well, actually a great deal. James was part of a church where people were being killed and and tortured and, and dying because of their Christian faith. James was experiencing hectic suffering. But even in that context, he can still say, Rejoice, my brothers, consider it pure joy when you experience suffering and trials of many different kinds. Because the testing and trying of your faith builds your faith, makes you stronger, and ultimately makes you mature and complete. There's also the example of Paul's thorn in the flesh, which we read about in 2 Corinthians 12. Now, a lot of theologians debate about, well, what is this thorn that Paul had in his flesh? Life might have been a little simpler if he described his exact physical problem. But I believe it definitely was a a physical problem. And he describes it as a thorn in my flesh. Maybe some kind of physical ailment that, that constantly caused physical pain in his body. And he refers to it as being a messenger of Satan... To torment me. And we read in verse 8 that on three separate occasions he pleaded with the Lord to take away this, this thorn in his flesh. And God's reply to him was, no, I'm going to leave this, this suffering in your body because my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's why Paul goes on to say that he delights in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. Because when he is physically weak, that makes him spiritually strong. Paul also understood this thorn in his flesh as something that would keep him humble. In fact, he explains that elsewhere. Uh, to, to keep him grounded. He'd seen such incredible things in the spirit that God allowed Satan to, to physically prov- provide this reminder in Paul's life to, to, keep him, to keep him grounded. The seventh thing I want to say about suffering is that sometimes suffering can be God's judgment upon a person. And I know this is a very delicate issue. And we must never jump to conclusions and say, well, person X uh, is experiencing suffering because God is judging them. That's a very painful thing for someone to hear. And it is very unwise to say something like that. But the scriptures do speak of the fact that God can be the source of 
people suffering on occasion. So it is, isn't something we can just dismiss and glibly say, well, God loves everybody, so God would never bring suffering upon someone. Because clearly in both the Old Testament and the New, God does use suffering and sometimes ill health to, to discipline people. In the Old Testament, there are many examples of God inflicting people with boils, with leprosy, and with tumors as a way of both punishing and disciplining people. And you might think, well, that's the Old Testament. God would never do that in the New Testament. Well, that's also uh, not true, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the age of the Spirit. Jesus has returned to heaven. And Paul says that when we're sharing communion, we need to examine our hearts and check that we're right with God before we take communion. Because if we participate in holy communion and we're, we're hiding sin in our hearts, that can have terrible consequences. And then in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, And that is why many among you have fallen asleep and are weak and sick. And so here in the New Testament, in the era of the Spirit... Paul is still making it clear that sometimes in the church there are people that become weak and that become sick and that may even die because spiritually they are not right with God. James 5 also hints at this where he, he says, If anyone has sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. So sometimes unconfessed sin can be the cause of sickness. And uh, yeah, this is something too that we need to take seriously because the Bible speaks about it and there are psalms as well where the psalmist can lament the fact that he is sick he is suffering because of the judgment of God so let me summarize some of the key things I've tried to share in today's session the first thing I've tried to share is that the question of suffering is an extremely difficult one and as Christians we need to be honest about the seriousness of the problem and not give glib replies to difficult questions. But secondly, we see that the Christian faith has some, some very unique and significant things to say about suffering. There are many different reasons for suffering, but the most important one being we're living in a fallen world where all of creation is groaning and, and longing to be for the sons of God to be revealed when Jesus comes again and makes all things new and creates a new heavens and earth. That is the Christian hope. But when it comes to suffering, friends, we need to always bear in mind that God knows what we're experiencing. And he's promised that no suffering will come our way, that he won't give us the grace to endure. 
God has also witnessed everyone's suffering throughout the ages. Suffering is something that God knows about and sees. You'll know that as the book of Exodus begins in the first chapter, we have God looking down on his people in slavery in Egypt and saying how he has seen their suffering and how he's going to go down and bring it to an end. So God sees our suffering. Also, God has experienced suffering firsthand. In the Christian faith, our God has entered into this world of suffering. Jesus was described as a man familiar with suffering and acquainted with grief. And the most precious truth of all is that there is hope in suffering. If you're an atheist or a materialist and you experience suffering, that can lead to, lead to nihilism. And you might think, well, what is the point of it all? There is no point. I'm suffering and it means nothing. But for us as Christians, even something as terrible as suffering can be used by God for good. It may be in ways that we can't comprehend, and it usually is. But as Christians, we are to hang on to Romans 8 verse 28, that reminds us that God is at work in all things for the good of those that love him. So I hope that you can take confidence in that. And that as you engage with people that are suffering, you will have a, a, a better theological framework for, for encouraging and helping those experiencing suffering. Thank you very much for participating in the Rooted course. I hope you have found it beneficial these last 10 weeks. And I would love to hear from you that you've done the course. Perhaps let me know. And uh, if you have any comments or questions, please uh, let me have those as well. Uh, if you don't mind, it might be a good thing for you to like these videos because that will make them more accessible to other people. And I hope that you have subscribed to our church website. Thank you very much.